Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Everyone is voting for Jack, cause he's got what all the rest lack. Everyone wants to back Jack. Jack is on the right track, cause he's got... Hey guys, welcome to episode 5 of the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and I'm so excited that you are joining in again, hopefully for the fifth time. Uh, if, it, if this is your first time, make sure you go back, listen to 0, 1, 2, 3, and 4, um, get caught up. I am just so excited by this podcast and the traction that it's built so far. I'm shocked every time that I open up and see that there are actual downloads and that people are listening and such positive reviews. My Instagram account at Kennedy Dynasty, K-E-N-N-E-D-Y-D-Y-N-A-S-T-Y, almost has 2,000 followers, which is nuts to me as well, completely organic followers. So I just want to thank you guys, as I do every week, because I'm just so appreciative for this little community of Kennedy lovers that we are building together. Today's guest is John Driver. He is a writer, podcaster, pastor, U.S. history teacher, and a longtime mentor and friend to Jeff and I. Um, He gets into and talks about his podcast, Talk About That. You can get it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. It is my favorite one. Every Monday, I am so excited to refresh and see that one pop up on my feed. Guys, you have to listen to it. It's hilarious. It's deep. It's everything you want in a podcast. And I'm telling you, you will love it. There's no way you couldn't. (laughs) So make sure you check it out. Without further ado, here is my interview with John Driver. So here is our guest, John Driver. Thank you for being here today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, Can you, to get started, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I I am, my day job, I guess you could say, I'm a pastor, an executive and teaching pastor, and I've I've been doing some sort of ministry for uh, over 20 years, but I'm also uh, a professional collaborative writer, Uh, so I've written about I looked the other day, it was kind of freaking me out. I hadn't counted in years, which is probably healthy. I don't like counting things, but I've written like 24 books now. So I work, if you ever see a book cover um, and it says with, with some guy's name is tiny at the bottom, you know, I'm the with guy, you know, so I work with authors uh, and help them get their voice and their message and their story onto paper. And then I write some of my own stuff too. Just had a book last year out. It's kind of a silly comedy book. And then I also uh, host a podcast with uh, my best friend, who's a comedian, Johnny W. And we've been uh, doing that for a while. It's actually a a chartable top 50 podcast podcast. It's a podcast, (laughs) Allison. And so it's called Talk About That. And we just kind of sit and have conversations about life and uh, things with substance and also things that are fun. So uh, that's kind of me in a nutshell. I have a beautiful wife and a lovely, uh, almost 12-year-old daughter. So that keeps me mostly mostly about the things that matter in life with those two. Yes, that's awesome. Uh, share a little bit about your book first, because right now is the time for this book. <laughs> and it's almost Father's Day, so it's perfect yeah. for Father's Day. Or any time, really. Anybody. 
So it's a crazy thing. It rarely happens in the publishing industry, but an, uh, a publisher had this idea, and I submitted some uh, samples for it, and I, they ended up granting me the book, like the authorship of it. And it's called The Ultimate Guide for the Avid Indoorsman. And so it was, I wrote a book with a guy named Tim Hawkins years ago uh, that was just, you know, straight, just stupid comedy and fun. And so I kind of have that comedy vein in me in terms of writing. I'm not a stand-up guy or anything. I'm not that funny in person, but you put me on paper, I can, you know, say stupid things. So anyway, I wrote like a survival guide for the indoors, which yes, how crazy is that? Perfect for the times. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's a great book too, guys. Go get it. It's hilarious. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The the best part of it is, is it's fully illustrated Mm -hmm. and they're like those like 1960s survival guide type illustrations and the, and they just did a phenomenal job with it. It's so much fun and it'll, it'll help you waste your time wisely. That that's uh, if you want to have something fun to do during this time, go check it out. <laughs> that's awesome. And also you're probably going to teach me a lot today because you are a history teacher as well, aren't you? Yep. So I, I went to the university of Tennessee in Knoxville and uh, I majored in history. So I have a degree in history um, that in a quarter, you know, we'll get you a cup of coffee, but uh <laughs> And so I got my graduate degree in curriculum and instruction, and I went on to teach several years uh, public school uh, U.S. history Mm -hmm. uh, with high schoolers and middle schoolers. And so history is still a major part. Obviously, it works a lot into my writing and what I do. Um, Mm -hmm. Just wrote a book for a guy that's going to come out this year. I mean, he's he's 89. And so writing through the things that are happening in his life, you know, that – that's a lot of fun for me is, is diving back into history and tying it to where we are today. It's exciting to have you because I want to, obviously this is a Kennedy based podcast, but I kind of wanted to jump outside into other presidents a little bit because, and I'm, I would, I would consider myself a Kennedy expert at this point. I think that I've earned that badge if there was a badge to earn, but (laughs) outside of that, no. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about other presidents on this one too. So um, I'll get into my first question for you. So in your opinion, what past presidents was Kennedy influenced by and who did he influence after him? Wow. That was probably poorly worded, but <laughs> go no. with it. <laughs> well, you know, the presidency is a real evolving thing in American history that uh, people don't really, I think we lose sight of in the modern era. And so, I mean, not to make a real long answer to a short question, but I mean, it'd be hard to point to one. Obviously, FDR would be the most, to me, um, I guess the forefront of the modern American presidency and that he you know, used the media and that he also elevated the power of the office um, to a level it had not been before. And we just kind of assume these days, and here we are in the middle of, you know, uh, people receiving stimulus checks and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's kind of an era of executive order and executive power from the presidency, but that's not how the presidency really began. You got to remember that coming out of England, they were trying so hard to get away from a king they did not want. And so people really lose sight of this. The very first years after we gained our independence for a decade, there was no constitution. And so we were under a form of government called the Articles of Confederation. And in that, that that was basically like the constitution, it was just called that. And it had no president. There was no executive at all for that first 10 years uh, because they were so afraid of a president, they wouldn't have called that, but someone who was in that executive you know, office because they were trying to get away from the monarchy. And so 
that didn't work. They couldn't raise taxes. They couldn't, you know, uh, have a, a federal army that would protect the, the national interests. Um, and so that's when they instituted the Constitution and the executive power. Now, Thomas Jefferson, so speaking of presidents that would that would influence, you know, as one of the, the founders and, and involved in all of those documents, you know, he didn't want there to really be. In fact, he helped write the state constitution for Virginia and there was no governor. So no executive even at the state level for him. So uh, lots of the founding fathers were really afraid. And that's why Washington stepped out after two terms and created that precedent, uh, because he wanted to be a citizen leader who would answer to the people. And that was re- that's the revolutionary part of, of American presidency and the way the government works is that the guy who had all the power and they wanted to kind of make him a lifelong president mm-hmm. said, no, that's not what this is about. And I think that influence has trickled down throughout history. Then uh, Jefferson, who was against uh, such power, became the president and exercised probably the most power in all of presidential history up to that point with the Louisiana Purchase and doubled the size of the country. So it's funny how in context presidents do what, you know, I, what I believe, no matter what their ideologies are, they have to respond to what's happening in their time. You know, then you have Jackson, Andrew Jackson, who's one of the first populist presidents who just really wanted that power to the people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've heard all the stories, I'm sure, about the people coming at the inauguration party and partying in the White House and on the lawn. Basically, it was like a, just a big kegger with a bunch of rednecks out in the White House. And that's, you know, that you could hang out with the president. Lincoln was sort of similar to that in that people would just wait, you know, in the hallway to see if they could talk to him or not. So it was such a approachable type office in the beginning. It was, it was meant to be that this, and you know, it was, it was elevated and they were famous. Then you have Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt. He loved the press. And so here's the beginning of the modern era. He loved to make speeches. You know, one time in Milwaukee, if you know this story, Teddy Roosevelt got shot while making at the very beginning of a speech, about to make, about to make a speech. And this guy walked up, he'd been stalking him for a long time and shot him. And uh, Roosevelt had a 50-page, he used to speak for, you think I speak a long time. This guy spoke a long time. He had a 50-page speech in his pocket that was folded over, and the bullet hit the speech. Now, it went through still and injured him, and he was bleeding, but it saved his life. But he insisted on delivering his speech, and the dude spoke another hour. Oh my after gosh. he got shot. I did not <laughs> <Yeah>. know that. <laughs> uh, that Ted, Roosevelt was tough as nails, but he loved to address the American people so much that that was a big deal to him. And so then they had to take him to the hospital and get medical attention. And, but <laughs> that's what you, I think, to answer your question, I think that's where you kind of begin to see was with Teddy Roosevelt, the beginning of the expectation that the American president was going to communicate a lot with the people. Because after him, Taft didn't communicate like Roosevelt did, and people accused him of withholding news. Mm-hmm. So now, no one accused any president before that of that. It just wasn't an expectation. So the modern presidency began to have that expectation that they would be giving you news. And then Woodrow Wilson started uh, that the first kind of like news conference in 1913. Obviously, FDR came along. To me, he's the one that most influenced Kennedy mm-hmm. in that he really transformed it by holding these long and informal press conferences. He would do them in uh, the Oval Office. And, and then he also began recording these fireside chats to the American people where he was addressed. Now, they were pre-recorded and he would address them. I believe they were pre-recorded. Kennedy, what he did. They were. I think everyone, I'm sorry to cut you off. I think everyone, yeah, yeah. Kennedy was the first one to ever not pre-record anything yep. and like have no editing, no nothing. So he was the first one to ever do that. I do know that and for it, a fact. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say it's fat, and I actually read that on the White House, uh, one of the White House historical blogs, or, or and, and the crazy thing was is he didn't just go live press conferences, radio. He went live television. Mm-hmm. 
because now America, half the you know population had televisions, and it, I think it changed everything. I think he set a precedent, especially being young. Uh, there, there was this, there was always been an aura, I think, around the American presidency. It, it, it's not, I mean, obviously George Washington still is is almost like legendary mm-hmm. in all of us, you know, all of our minds. Um, he was one of the, you know, I think FDR had kind of that, I think, supportive grounded grandfather type role in a really difficult, multiple difficult times. Then you have Kennedy Mm -hmm. who comes along and he's this, um, I mean, a lot of people didn't like him obviously, but those who loved him, I mean, loved him almost like family. Here we are still doing podcasts about the guy, you know? And, and so it, 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 I think is more than just, uh, his charisma and those things. And I think his youth and all that helped, a lot to explain it because we have, the, you know, the beginning of a lot of pop culture things happening mm-hmm. there in the mid to late 20th century that he's going to be a part of on the early side. Um, but wow, the fact that he would go on television unscripted, I mean, it wasn't unscripted actually. He would have uh, practice sessions. I'm sure you know that mm-hmm. <laughs> he would, he would go to practice sessions and, and they had all of these briefing books and it was, I mean, uh, suddenly now, um, and they had to hire a new staff to help do that. Mm-hmm. So just imagine, the amount of energy he's placing into the president communicating with the American people. And there's just an assumption that that's always been that way, but that is not at all the way it was up to really FDR. And I think that he's the one who took it into the modern age, a hundred percent, the way that we still kind of do it today. Obviously it's moved to internet and other things, but it's, there's still white house, you know, uh, unscripted press briefings all the time. And he's the first one. So. And do you think apart from even just media and the way that he influenced that, do you think as far, I I guess where I'm going with this is I feel like he influenced so many presidents after him in a way to be like a way to speak, a way to conduct themselves in the public eye, a way to have certain hand gestures and mannerisms. Like everyone wanted to be just like him because he was so popular. And so, I mean, he had that Kennedy mystique behind him, you know? So I feel like, like even I was looking at a comparison the other day of uh, President Kennedy and President Clinton speaking, and they both yeah. like have the same kinds of like mm-hmm. inflections and manners. I don't know. It's just very interesting for me to see how each president does influence the next and then the next and then the next. Well, Kennedy was a great orator, mm-hmm. and that was always sort of a prerequisite to be the president. Um, it, it, I don't, I don't think it is the same way necessarily today. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he did bring sort of he added charisma because again Teddy Roosevelt could speak for an hour it was very motivating you know um, Kennedy had that way of kind of capturing I think a, a lot of and you called it mystique you know but capturing the emotional side of things but not just in a not just for patriotic reasons mm-hmm. um, I think that people I wanted to identify. Mm-hmm. with him and, and, and with their family and those kinds of things. So, I mean, yeah, I, I would imagine, you know, presidents post, and I, I know that you don't talk a lot about the assassination that, you know, on the podcast or, or you try not to just focus on it, right. but you know, there is something to be said for, you know, the pressure that is um, on the president's post assassination because sure. Kennedy was really, you know, kind of uh, suspended in animation forever, you know, mm-hmm. like it, there's that moment, and he never, I mean, he had a lot of scandals and those kinds of things, but really they never kind of 
fully came to light. He never had to, you know, go all the way with them through the embarrassing processes. And there's a lot to be said that press would not have embarrassed the president in mm-hmm. those days as, as they would be willing to do today. Though certainly, you know, they were getting there at that point in time. Um, but, you know, yeah, I imagine the pressure was high to have that charismatic, uh, approachable connectivity with mm-hmm. the American people. And, and and there's just some things like that. You can look at a camera all day long and sometimes either you got it or you don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you may not be, you may be a, a phenomenal leader, uh, even a really good communicator, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be able to follow that, uh, that charismatic type following. And some presidents I think have, have intentionally tried to become the antithesis of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to be the CEO. I'm going to be you know, this no nonsense type leader that just calls it like I see it. Um, sure. As opposed to one that wants to motivate and bring about the hearts of the American people into whatever it is that he's speaking about. Yeah. And I feel like the best example ever of that is watching the debate between Kennedy and Nixon and how Nixon oh. looks like he's about to pass out with sweat, like dripping <laughs> off of his face. <laughs> yeah. And Kennedy just looks like he's having a cocktail by the pool. Like, no, no problem. Yeah. It's, it's crazy yeah. to see the difference there. So yeah. Yeah. And off of that, I kind of, my next question to you was to talk about how the media used to respect presidential privacy so much more. Um, they obviously covered up uh, President Kennedy's uh, health conditions and all of his affairs and Roosevelt's polio and the fact that he was in a wheelchair, you know, those things the media really respected and stayed back from and listened to what the presidents wanted them to put out, what they didn't want them to put out. Um, So why and when do you think that changed? You know, when I had researched that, apparently it it really began mid 1800s. Um, You know, Lincoln though he's very similar to Kennedy in that also suspended in time at the very end of the most you know tragic event in American history. Um, and let's not forget, also hated by more than half. It was Lincoln's, it was Lincoln's election that caused the civil war, the spark of it. Mm-hmm. Like, so I mean, how, how, how much do you have to be hated by half the country that because you got elected now, we're willing to fire in Fort Sumter, you know? Um, and so, there, there's this, um, you know, it's it's hard to know what what didn't happen, but you know, Lincoln, I think was was very much um, criticized, and, and when I say I'm going to use that term, yellow journalism, certainly was beginning then, and that people would draw um, unflattering, you know, political cartoons, mm-hmm. um, and and if you go back and read some of those, and I know right now social media is just brutal in the political world. Um, it was pretty brutal if you really read, you know, their social media of the time, the newspapers and the things that they're drawing and saying, you know, they're basically making caricatures out of these political leaders and have them doing completely humiliating things and saying all kinds of things, you know, uh, that, you know, they're fascists or, you know, they're, they're dictators or they're, I mean, you know, really insulting things. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there was actually some regulations late 1800s. That's when the libel and the slander um, the, the laws that would control the libel and slander acts that now you could be sued or something could happen to you. Um, if you just went around saying things about people with, you know, nothing to back it up. So at least you had this threat of going to court though, the balance between that and the freedom of the press, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, in the bill of rights, that's a, that's a real delicate balance. And most, most, I think presidents don't try to even fight that, you know, they just kind of let it go. Cause, but you know, I mean, to me, 
I think, you know, FDR, obviously their willingness to do what they did for him was, was, was such a big deal. I actually think that the assassination of Kennedy, because it was so public, mm-hmm. um, you know, Kennedy's, excuse me, Lincoln's was not. I really believe that for me, and I haven't thought about this to you ask the question like that. In some ways, I think that was a moment that, in fact, every American who was alive at that time can tell you where they were. And mm-hmm. what does that mean? They were they were almost like the landing on the moon. They're glued to their televisions and they're seeing images. They're seeing, uh, you know, I don't know how quickly they were showing clips of the car driving away and all those kinds of things to the public back then. But certainly there are people at the hospital with a microphone and they're giving you the play by play. Well, that's not, that's never happened in history. We have multiple presidents who've been assassinated. Um, but it kind of brought the tragedy into the American consciousness, uh, I think in a way that was different than any other time. So now you didn't just hear about it. You didn't read it in the newspaper the next day, though it was always there, but because of television, they saw it. And I don't think there was ever, to me, and again, this is just John's historical theory, there was no going back. From here on out, the American people were going to be inside the life of the president. Um, and how the press in particularly, or in particular, was going to um, respect that boundary, I think certainly when Nixon broke the trust of the American people, then that really went out the door as well. Mm-hmm. Um there's a great movie. Have you seen The Post, by the way? Oh, of course. So yeah. good. I mean, that that's a movie about that very thing, you know, this this line of, of what's best. There was a, probably throughout American history, there was this assumption that what is good for the president is good for the American people because mm-hmm. he is this representation of what's best about us. And certainly he would have his opponents and all those things, but that office was revered. I think that the moment that office was tainted, um, especially by Nixon in the modern age, because of the, the growing number of outlets and information streams, the growing number mm-hmm. of obviously, you know, the, the wars we had faced and already and how we're, you know, really ramping up into Vietnam. Then I think at that point, the American people just said enough is enough. And the press really is the voice of the people. Mm-hmm. And so though they have, I mean, they're not just making decisions. And that's the thing about the mid 1800s, what they changed and it was they right then instead of just trying to serve the presidential or party interests, they that's when they began to try to look for sensational stories that would attract more readers. Mm-hmm. So it became more of a business. And so when the American people, you know, came into this tragedy, there was no going back. And from there on out, that you know, the readers are now there, but they're but they're viewers. And so now that you had the viewers, what are you gonna do? They want this. And you're the voice of the people. And so I'm not saying there's not integrity within the media and all of those things, but that was probably the beginning of when commentary began to grow more than just the news stories. I saw a thing with, um, I think it was Tom Brokaw, it may have been, or Dan Rather one, where, a, you know, it's one of those CNN 90s mm-hmm. things. And he said he remembers the moment when suddenly almost all the news reports began with, someone saying, I think when before that it was like, everything had to be backed up, you know, by some sort of source. Yeah. Now we're all saying, well, what do you think? Well, I think, and now it's that commentary. And I don't think the American people today can differentiate between the two. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, there, there's no, that's why conspiracy theories are, you know, abounding and all those things. And they're not just hobbies like they used to be. Like people really believe that's, you know, the way that they uh, solve problems or, or come to the bottom of mysteries. So yeah, it's a fascinating topic, but I mean, to me, the death of Kennedy led the media into sort of a, it's almost like 9-11. You know, we've never, we've never stopped functioning the way we did after 9-11, whether it's with travel, whether it's with our, um, you know, defenses against possible terrorism. We just think differently now because mm-hmm. of that tragic experience. And I think that's what the assassination did to the media's, I wouldn't say infiltration, but its willingness to go deeper into the life of the president and the White House. Sure. I feel like, me and Jeffrey were talking about it a while today. I feel like it's when, I mean, I don't know. I guess when computers were introduced, when social media obviously was introduced, that commentary that you were talking about, but when everybody in the world had a voice, not even just our journalists, that's when it got crazy. And because even at the time, back then it was even more difficult to be a journalist because there were only so many outlets that you could be one anyway. Now I can get, I I could consider myself if I wanted to be one and I have none of the facts, you know? So (laughs) it's like, it's, I feel like now it's just so infiltrated with all of, we're all just constantly getting these updates about things that we don't know if it's true or not. We just have to differentiate and dig through and figure out. So now it's, so much harder for anyone to hide anything about themselves, <laughs> you know, yeah. especially because there's so many people digging to find the dirt. And we've come, I feel like we've, this personal opinion, I feel like we've become a society that no longer is entertained by the mystique, but by the dirt. Like we want to know the worst yeah. about you before we want to know the best about you because we know it's there. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. So that that's the part that, you know, I, I think just has changed so much. I think that's maybe why there are so many fans of 20th century century politics in general, like the Kennedys and, you know, just everybody, uh, the Johnson administration, Eisenhower's, all of them, like everyone just loves that point in history. I feel like not necessarily because of what was going on during the time, but because we have these, for lack of a better term, idols. And now I feel like everyone is just looked at for what's wrong with them instead of what's good in them even though every single president has dirt <laughs> for right. yeah. you know, all time. So yeah. it's very interesting just to see kind of the metamorphosis of how media coverage has portrayed everybody <laughs> in, in public eye in the last hundred years, really. No, it is, it's fascinating. And I, I do think your point to social media, when everybody's voice is at equal volume, then nobody's voice is really heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just are shouting louder, trying to be, you know, and, and, um, I'm not saying it doesn't have a lot of value. Um, you know, it's unfortunate just recently here with the tragic shooting, you know, that, you know, social media was necessary to, sure. for an outcry to bring justice and it should not be that way. Um, mm-hmm. so it does have many good uses, but I think far and wide, you're right. The negativity of it is more of the tone. Um, and even then, obviously you read the threads on that particular situation. It's just brutal. And, and, you know, um, I think that that desensitivity to one, like I said, good sources Mm -hmm. and, and to, to know what the good sources are, because they're almost all web-based now. So, you know, how, how do you know? Um, and people are very, I, I hear that a lot in my pastoral side of things. People are very, um, I guess overstimulated and they, they feel like this lack 
of um, grounding and foundation. Like there's no boundaries around them because they don't know who to believe. I mean, you could literally turn on Fox News and CNN and they would report on the same story and, and give you completely different facts most of the time. Mm-hmm. And that these used to be, like you said, from media, these kinds of, of outlets were once trusted sources. Right. And, and you know, you know, as Laura's dad always says, you know, there's three sides of the truth, your side, my side, and the actual truth, you know what I mean? So they're, I don't know if they're all trying to lie. I think they believe their ideologies and those kinds of things of what they're saying. But even statistical reports, statistics can be, we've gone so far into statistics that we can manipulate them to make almost any case we want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and so it's just, a, it's just like this, oh, this almost like fire hose of information that if we turn it on people, we can get them to do what we want them to do. And, mm-hmm. and it's leaving people, I think, very waterlogged. You know, they don't know what to do. And so I really encourage ever, you know, and, and when we have those talks, you know, like, hey, you know, it, it, see if there's a scholarly citation somewhere in what you're reading. You know, um, is it is it connected to something you've recognized, some sort of you know, the medical society of something like, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. like it, it's, does the person writing, you know, like you said, if you're on social media, you're not a professional reporter. You might be a professional reporter and have a social media account, but I mean, there is such a thing still as going to school for journalism. Right. Like there is a, <laughs> like there's something to be said for that process and um, the integrity of it. And so, um, you know, I'm, I, I think that information overflow can be helpful in some ways, but certainly I, I think you're right. People want to hearken back to other, to simpler times in their minds. Now, I'll, albeit, you think about Jim Crow laws and horrible discrimination and segregation happening during these times of American history. And Kennedy was obviously on the, you know, forefront trying to help with that. Um, but everybody who goes, you know, Oh man, I I just wish America was like what it used to be. It's like, well, you need to probably find out, you know, yes, I, I I don't, my wife always says, I, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be either, or it could be both. And, and it could be both and that I love my country. I'm a, I mean, literally have a degree in history. I was an American history teacher. That's that's absolutely there. And I can admit that it's got a lot of of really flawed parts to it uh, that cause a lot of people's experience in those quote unquote um, enchanted times in the 20th century and the in you know in the late 40s all the way through the 50s and 60s you know, that wasn't enchanted for everybody. And there's a lot of, uh, of things that went really awry that did not have justice for a lot of right. American citizens. We, even when the law said they should have it, the constitution said they should have it. Um, and it's okay to say both. It doesn't, we don't have to say the country's horrible because of that. We can say the country's made of a people that are flawed and that let's not sacrifice honesty or the ability to look at really what happened in American history, we don't have to sacrifice the country to do that. To make the country continue to grow and be stronger and healthier, it's it's okay to look at those things um, and to acknowledge that they existed, you know. Um, so, you know, I don't want to be enchanted. I don't want to be in an enchanted place where people around me are literally being discriminated against because right. you're not going to find it anywhere in history. It doesn't exist today. You know, there's always going to be somewhere. So we can enjoy and be grateful and have a good impression of of our nation and our history, uh, and also say, man, let's make sure we don't do that again. <laughs> you know, right. let's make sure that we listen. And, um, I do think Kennedy, I think he was sort of on the forefront of that kind of thinking, uh, for his time, especially coming from wealth and, um, 
you know, privilege and, um, being young. I mean that, you know, he, he, he was pretty revolutionary in the front lines of a lot of those types of conversations. Um, and I do think that that caused a lot of younger people to, to decide they may start at least examining American institutions differently than they had before. So in my opinion, I definitely think Bobby had maybe even more to do with it than president Kennedy though, (laughs) for sure. In that, (laughs) but I mean, kind of like how you were talking about, we just glamorize the past so much, even president Kennedy's presidency, we glamorize because Jackie made it that way with the Camelot facade, Uh for lack of a better term, the, she is the one that, kind of put all this into place this legacy that we really didn't get to see come to fruition at all so it's kind of something that we've all not saying he didn't do great they obviously i'm a huge kennedy fan i think he did wonderful things i think he jump-started wonderful things but had he been given four more years we don't know what he would have done with it yeah i mean it's all a guessing game so uh yeah that's a very interesting thing to to dissect and think about um i'll ask you one more question because i keep getting this question from people on my instagram all right. So speaking about media, how they perceive the presidents, everything as a whole, a lot of people ask what I think, and I answered it on my last one. Do I think that Kennedy would be popular if he was president today? What do you mm. think? <laughs> Given everything, the the amount that he can, like people can dig into his personal life way more now, all the things. What do you think? I mean, it's obviously an opinion-based question because there's I no think, way to know. <laughs> I think it would be exactly like it is today he would be wildly popular on on one side and wildly hated on the other it seems mm-hmm. like there's no there's no no middle ground left anymore he'd be i think the presidency is going to be a place where the person who's occupying that seat is going to have a polarized um a polarized group of um opponents and people who support um you know clinton brought about the first time in American history that, I mean, like you said, they've all had their dirt. He got impeached for his dirt and it was very, very public. And there was just as much of a public outcry to say that, Hey, the, the morality of the president is not our business or what I elected him for. And Mm -hmm. a lot of that I think is a reflection of uh, where America was, especially at that time in life, that, you know, there's a lot of people going, Hey, that this is what we all do, <laughs> you know? So let's not throw the guy out for it. And there's an argument to be made there, you know, about whether or not, I mean, he was impeached for lying, not, not for the affair. So how America would look at Kennedy's, you know, like you said, the longer, certainly it wouldn't have been hidden nearly on the same level. Although perhaps technology and here, here's something, Here's something revolutionary to think about. So what if we actually have better tools today? Like what if they're able to to really use some sort of algorithm or use some sort of technology? I mean, my gosh, we all know, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do know that I speak, I could be talking to you right now about a certain product and I'll get an ad on my phone for it. Mm-hmm. So and we know that that it's that 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 kind of level of technology and even as artificial intelligence continues to grow. Like what if there's so much about the presidency? I'm not, again, I'm totally feeling the fire of the conspiracy theorists. I'm sorry. (laughs) But but, you know, what if he would have better tools to, for people not to know, Um, or he would have, imagine Camelot digitized, you know, Mm -hmm. imagine what all that army now, not, not just Jackie, but what about that whole army of publicists and social media gurus and, 
analysts who are sitting and looking at the data and the metrics and paying attention to, you know, how America right. is responding now to every single word, you know, of, of every single speech. I mean, he might have been the greatest machine to, uh, I guess, almost generate a popularity uh, and, and try to keep them. And again, that is happening today. You just now all you got to do is say fake news when someone says something bad about you. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that tool was in place then, I mean, he, you know, if, if deniability and, and all those things, I mean, it's, it's all um, propaganda. I don't mean that in a, I don't mean it's all propaganda, but there is a degree of propaganda to it all now that mm-hmm. even back then you're trying, like you said, to generate an appearance, but I don't know. It could be that he would be wild. I think he'd be very popular. That's um, a very interesting way to look at it. I've never thought about it flipped like that. So yeah, yeah. maybe so. Who knows? Well, this was a really fun chat and I feel like I learned yeah. a lot. So thank you so much for joining <laughs> me. And I will definitely love to have you back on in the future. If you'd be cool with that. I would love it. You let me know anytime. Great. Thank you so much for joining me and I will talk to you guys next week. Come on and vote for Kennedy. Vote for Kennedy. Keep America strong. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains, we'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.